Hi, I'm Steve Scott, and welcome to Knowing Him. Well, welcome to Knowing Him, our podcast today. I'm really excited about it. It's our concluding podcast on the subject of the 21 promises Jesus made to you about his words. And um, what we're going to look at now is what started it all for me. And back, clear back in, in 2005, uh, m- maybe the very beginning of 2006 somewhere, I was reading the passage, I was reading the Sermon on the Mount again, which I've read many, many times and studied. And I came upon the passage that I've always hated. Now, you're not supposed to hate the Bible. You're not supposed to hate Scripture. You're not supposed to hate a passage or a verse. But man, from the time I first read this, when I was probably 17 or 18 years old, until 2006, I hated this passage because it scared the crap out of me And um, no matter what I learned, I went through Bible training with Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, I had studied the Bible. I read commentaries. Nothing gave me peace about what Jesus was saying. And that's because each time I read it, I stopped at verse 23. And what I'm talking about is Matthew 7, 21 through 23. So here's the passage, but don't get stuck on it because you got great news at the end of this passage. Okay, he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. For many will say unto me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not work many wondrous works, miraculous works in your name? And I will declare unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice iniquity or lawlessness, depending on your translation. So here these people had been working miracles. Jesus never debated that. He didn't say, you never prophesied in my name. You never cast out a demon in my name. You never performed a miracle in my name. No, he didn't even debate it. So we can assume that it was not debatable, that they had done these things in the name of Jesus Christ. But but they had never come into intimacy with Christ. Remember what Jesus said in John 17, 3. In John 17, 3, he said, this is eternal life, that they might intimately, and I'm adding that word intimately because that's the context of what he's saying, that they might intimately know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So these people knew all about Christ, but they had never come into a union with Christ. You see, um, I used this example that, uh, and I probably used it previously in one of these episodes, that uh, uh, you probably know all about Chuck Norris. You might know that he was a six-time world champion in karate long before he became a a television or movie star. Uh, You may know that he was star of Texas Walker, Texas Ranger, and that he did 31 movies, you know, and you may know some of those movies. 
you know he's one tough dude and you wouldn't want to meet him in an alley and have him mad at you. Um, But uh, no matter how much you know about him, uh, chances are you don't know him. If you're walking through uh, Houston Airport and there comes Chuck and he's got his hand on a carry-on, would he drop the bag and run over to you and give you a big hug and start talking to you about your family members? Would you ask him about his family members? Uh, No, because you don't know him. And he wouldn't stop for you because he doesn't know you. Um, but my children, he's been my, he was my business partner for 26 years. Uh, the Total Gym commercial that we did, infomercial and uh, uh, project, he's still on the air, 26 years. And we've been at his ranch, we've vacationed with him and uh, at his ranch and my kids absolutely love him his kids and uh, they know each other and they love each other and if chuck saw one of my kids now they're all adults and his kids are adults but if he saw him in the op in at an airport i promise you he would drop his suitcase and come running over to him and grab him and hug him lift him up uh, squeeze him probably kiss him on the cheek because that's who chuck is because they know him and he knows them. Well, that's the difference between knowing somebody and knowing about him. And these people knew all about Jesus. They even performed miracles in his name because his name carries power with it. But he tells them, I never knew you. See? Now remember that at the Last Supper, John 14, uh, Jesus uh, says to his disciples, uh, and where I'm going, you know, and the way you know, Thomas said unto him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes of the Father but by me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Philip says unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. Now listen to what Jesus said to Philip. Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? Whoa, think about that. Philip had been by Jesus' side for three and a half years. He was the fifth disciple called within a couple days of the first disciples being called. And uh, he had seen every miracle, heard every sermon, heard many of Jesus' prayers. Many he didn't hear because sometimes Jesus would retreat off by himself. And yet, Jesus sadly says, and yet you have not come to know me? See, there's intimacy. Well, he wants that intimacy. Now, good news, when the Holy Spirit came, their questions disappeared. They were filled with this Spirit And they came into this intimate union through the Holy Spirit with Jesus Christ. They knew him, and he knew them. They had intimacy. I don't know for sure, but I know when he prayed in the intercessory prayer, uh, he prayed that he would be one with them just as he and the Father were one, and that they would be one with another, that they'd have that kind of union. Well, anyway... So Jesus declares to these people, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And I used to think, Lord, what if that's me? 
here I, I prayed and asked you into my heart in 1964. Uh, from that point on, I led Bible studies. I studied the Bible. When I got into college, I had two Christian singing groups. I, I, I led Bible studies. I discipled new believers all through college, after college, still did it, um, you know, and continued study. And yes, I did have periods of time when I turned my back on Christ, but guess what? Christ was always there for me when I turned around or when he turned me around. But what if I, I start telling all this? Look, Lord, I've written all these Christian books. You know, I tell people about Christ right now. What if Jesus looked at me and said, yeah, Steve, I never knew you. Go on, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There's no rewind. There's no second chance. It's over. And he doesn't debate what I've, quote, done for him, which is basically nothing. He's done everything through me, through the power of the Holy Spirit. I know that I, I'm powerless to glorify God, yet God glorifies himself through me because of my walk with Christ, because of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. But I used to think, what if? Now I'll tell you what's even worse than that. What if that's one of my kids? Can you imagine one of my kids saying to Jesus, yeah, but dad said I was saved. I prayed that prayer with dad. I prayed that prayer with my pastor. I was baptized. Hey, doesn't mean a cotton picking thing if Jesus looks at one of my kids and says, I never knew you. I never knew you. Whoa. That, if that doesn't shake you up, then you need to turn off this podcast, get on your knees, pray that God will open your eyes to your own sinfulness and his grace, his amazing grace, the love of Christ, the righteousness of God, Christ, the holiness of God. And then when all that comes into your heart, guess what you're going to do? You're going to love God like never before. But I always stopped at verse 23 because verse 23 ended the paragraph. And I was so shook up after 23, I never went on and read verse 24 and forward of that. And this one time in 2005 or 6, I'm reading it, and I don't stop at 23. The very next verse starts with the word, therefore. So the whole reason he gives this terrifying glimpse of the judgment of professing believers is what he's about to say. He's about to show us the line in the sand, literally. So he says, therefore, he who hears these words of mine and does them, I will liken him, in contrast to the ones we just heard about, to the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house. But the house stood firm for it was built upon the rock. And for the first time in my life, I realized that the rock Jesus is talking about here is not himself. The rock here is building a life of hearing and doing what he said. Listen to it again. Therefore, he who hears these words of mine and does them, I'll liken him to the wise man who built his house on the rock. 
okay? The rock in this analogy, and the light went on with me. I said, Lord, I get it. You're telling me that my assurance doesn't come from a prayer that I prayed in 1964. My assurance comes from looking back and having built a life on the rock of hearing and doing what you said. And he said, that's right. And then the passage goes on and says, and he who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them, I'll liken him to the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house, and the house fell down. And in Luke it says, catastrophic was its fall. That's really the people that he's talking about when he said, I'll declare unto them. That first group of people who did all these things in Jesus' name did not build their life and their activities and their attitudes and their behaviors on the teachings of Christ. He didn't know them that way. He was not intimately united with them. They knew about him, but they had not entered into a union with him. That union takes place as we hear and do what Jesus said. Now, I've had people say, hey, that sounds like works. It's not works to be saved. It's works because you're saved. See, John tells us that we love him because he first loved us. We don't love him to gain his love. No, he loved us, and now we, in response, love him. Same thing here. We don't do his words. We don't do what Jesus said to gain God's love, to gain salvation. We do it to express our love the way he wants us to express it when we're saved. And if you don't want to hear and do what Jesus said, I don't care what prayer you prayed, you have good reason to question whether or not you have ever entered the kingdom of God. Because those who enter the kingdom of God want to know their Savior. They want my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. How do you follow Jesus Christ? He's not physically here for you to fall in line. We follow him by hearing and doing what he said. To gain salvation? No. To express our love for him. To express our salvation. Because he first loved us, we're loving him back. We're using his love language. John 14, 21 through 23 shows us that his love language and the Father's love language is hearing and doing what Jesus said. If you don't know that verse, write it down, John 14, 21 through 23. Read it. It'll blow you away. And it's awesome because once you know his love, ah, oh, I don't have to feel love for God. As a man, that always bothered me. I'd see these women in worship services and you could see it in their face. They were feeling things that I didn't feel. Well, God, we don't love God his love language is not a feelings language. Yes, he inhabits the praises of his people. He delights in our worship. But his love language is us hearing and doing what Jesus said. That's real clear in John 14, 21 through 23. He who has my 
commands and keeps them. He it is who loves me, and he who loves me, my father will love, and I too will love, and I'll reveal myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said unto him, Lord, how are you going to reveal yourself to us? What about the world? Jesus said, anyone, man, woman, boy, girl, who has my teachings and obeys them, he it is who loves me, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our continual dwelling place with him. God's love language is us hearing and doing what he said. So, perfectly? No. All the time? No. But that's the direction of our life. You see, you can be in a, in a canoe with, a, with an oar, and you can be going in one direction, and all of a sudden you get in a little, uh, oh, a little uh, current in the water, and you find yourself crashing into the beach, right? And so you, you, you get up, you dry off, Maybe you camp for a little bit, then you get back in the canoe and you start going back in the same direction. Or maybe the current's so strong and you're going against the current that it takes you back 100 yards. You don't turn around and go downstream because you want to get somewhere upstream. So you go back in that same direction. That's what it means to follow Christ. That's what it means to change the direction of your life to a life of hearing and doing what Jesus said. Problem is... Jesus' words are not taught today in most churches. Yeah, they're referenced once in a while. Yeah, they're glanced at. But see, Jesus told us to consume them. His words, he, his life, and his words are meant to be center stage in our life. We're told to ravenously eat his words. Most of us don't even know them. It's so sad. And guess what? His words are spirit and life. We saw that. And then we wonder, what's wrong with me? Why did I act the way I acted this morning? Why did I get so mad at my wife or my husband? Why did I, why did I do this? Why did I get mad when that person cut me off? That's not what Jesus does. You know? And guess what? You repent and you take a little jacuzzi, enjoy a jacuzzi in the love and forgiveness and the grace and mercy of God. And that's what he desires. So we see the rock is building a life of hearing and doing what he said. The sand, listen to this, and he who hears these sayings of mine or words of mine and doesn't do them, I'll liken him to the foolish man who built his house in the sand. Rains, and we've already said this. The house collapses. So here's the two foundations. One is rock, one is sand. Rock, hearing and doing what Jesus said. Empowered by grace, doing what he said by faith, that's good news because that's how we please God. Paul tells us that uh, we please God by faith. For by, uh, and so hearing and doing, rock. Hearing and not doing, sand. House on the rock stands, house on the sand collapses. Pretty easy, pretty simple. You want to be known by Christ you want to be intimately known by him. You want to intimately know him. You want to come into an intimate relationship, a union with him. He tells us how. That's the good news. 
It's not complicated. It's simple, not easy. It takes the Holy Spirit. You got to yield to the Spirit. And uh, but we hear His words and do them. And I know some of you are thinking, "Geez, but it's so back and forth. One day I do it, one day I don't do it." Ugh. Well, guess what? Paul said same thing, same struggle. Right after I gave my life to Christ, my pastor, when I went into college, my first pastor, who was a Greek and Hebrew expert, uh, he had eight years of Greek and 12 years of Hebrew, taught from the uh, Greek New Testament and the Hebrew Old Testament. I mean, brilliant. Oh man, I love this Bible teacher. He was amazing, but here's what he said. The only people that don't struggle with sin are the people who surrender to it. I would make one addition to that comment, or the people who don't understand it. People that think sin is shooting somebody, and so they think they're sin-free after Jesus said, hey, if you've been angry at somebody, you've, you've had the spirit of a murderer. And that needs repentance, and that needs faith. Here's the good news. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will in no way push away. When you come to him with your head hung down, God, how can you love me? Look what I did. Look what I said. Look how I acted. Look how I, look at my attitude. How can you love me? He says, easy. I don't love you because of you. I love you because of who I am. You'll never understand my love until you experience it. And as you experience it, you know, you see that person that doesn't deserve your love. And all of a sudden you feel their love. Corey Ten Boom gave a wonderful story. And my mentor, one of my mentors in Christ was Gary Smalley. One of his mentors in Christ was Corey Ten Boom. And Corey, as you, those, if you, for those of you that don't know, she wrote a book called The Hiding Place. She went to the concentration camps. She, she and her family saved over 140 uh, Jews from the concentration camps. They hid them in their home until they could get them out of Denmark. Uh, was it Denmark or Holland? I think it's Ho Holland. Holland. And um, anyway, uh, they were turned in by a neighbor. They all went to the concentration camp. Herself, her uncle, her dad, her brother, uh, or her uncle, her sister, her sister, Betsy. Everybody died in the concentration camp. She went through a horrible experience. The only reason she survived was a clerical error. And the person in the office checked the wrong box, so they released her instead of putting her to death. That was a mistake, but God knew what he was doing. And she tells about after the war, she's in a meeting, and at the back of the church, she's speaking, and guess what she sees? She sees one of the SS guards who used to beat the crap out of her sister, who, who was her true beloved in life. And he would beat the crap out of other prisoners. And there he is, and she's speaking at a meeting and he's at the back. And as she's speaking, she actually prays to the Lord and, 
and tells him in her heart, Lord, please don't let him come up. I don't want to touch that man. I don't want to see that man. I don't want to look at that man. She finished preaching, and guess what happens? The man comes right up. And he says, Sister Tin Boom, I don't know if you remember me, but I am that awful man who tortured your sister and the other women in the barracks. And he put out his hand, and in a moment in time, she told the Lord, no, I don't want to touch him. I can't touch him. I can't touch him. And the Holy Spirit whispered, reach out your hand, Corey. Take his hand. And praise God, she, was, she didn't want to, but she was obedient. And she reached out her hand and touched his hand. And the moment their hands touched, all of God's agape love flowed into her heart and through her arm into her hand, into that man's hand. And as she held his hand, he said, Oh, Miss Tinboom, could you ever forgive someone so horrible as me? And she said, My God and my Savior forgave you. Of course, I forgive you, brother. And she felt the love of God in all of its glory and power like she had never felt before in her life. She felt the love of Christ. Someday we'll have experiences where we feel that same love. If, if you haven't already, it's coming. It's coming as we hear and do what Jesus said. And we remain in the center of his love so we can experience, so we can receive his joy. And our joy can be complete and nothing can take it away. I was with Gary Smalley the last week of his life. He knew he was going to heaven that week. And uh, he knew it was just a matter of a few days. And you know what? He had the joy of Jesus. In fact, in fact, he woke up on Tuesday morning and my best friends in life were Gary Smalley and Jim Shaughnessy. And Gary counted Jim and I as his best friends. So Jim and I were there and Jim woke up before I did. So Jim went in with him and it was about 6.30 in the morning and Gary wakes up and he says, oh, Jimmy, Jimmy, I thought I died. I was so happy. Ah, oh, I can't believe I'm still alive. And he was really disappointed that he was alive because he knew the joy that was set before him, the same joy that was set before Jesus. So that knowing the cross was right in front of him, he wanted to give his joy to his disciples. You don't have to plead for Jesus' joy. You just have to put your cup under the faucet. And that's as easy as meditating in his words. And when the Holy Spirit whispers those words 
into your ear in the moment. By faith, empowered by grace, you do what is whispered and you're under that faucet and you'll feel his joy. Thanks for this. Can't wait till our next episode, but that concludes our uh, looking at the 21 promises Jesus made about his words and you. Guess what? There's another another 60 plus promises that Jesus makes to his followers in the scriptures in the New Testament. And down the road, we'll be looking at those. So enjoy this episode. Look up the scriptures. Uh, I'm going to give you the real quick, just a list of the scriptures we gone, have gone through in this study. We've gone through uh, John 6:63, my words are spirit and life. John 8:31 through 32, uh, if you abide in my word, you'll be my true disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Um, and uh, John 8, 32 through 38, he tells us that that freedom is all about being freed from the mastery of sin. Not free from sin altogether, but sin will no longer be our master and take us wherever it wants to take us. Uh, John 14, 21 through 23, that's how Jesus tells us we can have intimacy. He who has my words and keeps them. Um, John 14, 23 is, is he who has my words. 14, 21, 22, he who has my commands. Uh, John 15, 3, my word has made you clean. The bar of soap, prayer request, John 15, 7 and 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask anything you wish and it'll be done unto you. Uh, that the Father, um, that the Father might be, let's see, that, uh, that you, let's see, and it'll be done unto you uh, and you will bear much fruit, glorifying my Father, showing yourselves to be my disciples, something like that. Uh, that's seven and eight. Uh, John fifteen ten. Uh, remain in my love the way I remain in the Father's love. You keep my commandments just as I kept my Father's commandments. I tell you these things, John 15, 11, so that my joy will be in you and your joy will be full. And then we have the last five promises and they're contained in Matthew 7, 24 through 25. Okay, we'll see you next time. God bless you all. Bye.